0: Welcome to Word of Life Fellowship Chapel as we look at this series, Lessons from Exile. We cannot say that we fully understand or even assume to understand what you're going through right now because we also do not fully understand what is going on, but God does and His Word has answers. The lockdown comes with tons of issues, loss of life, anxiety, anxiety, depression, the COVID stigma, and financial needs, and there's nowhere we can run to because everyone seems to be experiencing the same challenges at the same time. The question is, uh, has this happened before in the history of the Bible? Is there something we can learn from these timeless truths? Welcome to part two as we are joined by Dr. Jane and Mr. David Chevira as we discuss these very difficult issues, seeking for both scientific answers and biblical answers. Okay,
1: good morning, everyone. Thank you. Um, Thank you, David. Um, Medical myths is quite a tough question. Um, However, I'll try to, I just chose, I guess, three of them. Um, I'll talk about the vaccination, I'll talk about the hubs, and then I'll talk about, I think, antibiotics. So um, vaccination has been something that has been going on for a while. Uh, We all are familiar with vaccination because we vaccinate our children. And we usually never ask, what did you give? You know, the kids go home, they get fevers in the night and we just wait it out. And then the next day they are playing and we are fine. Uh, When it has come to us as adults, we've begun to ask questions, which is interesting. I mean, we should be asking, questions about the children as well but um to wrap this up and not take a lot of time um people have been skeptical that for example those that are vaccinated are the ones that are dying um, that's one um, that um even those that are vaccinated are getting sick um that the vaccine might kill us those are the things um that surround vaccination majorly um i'll just give you the facts. So vaccination prevents severe disease, okay? So for those that are vaccinated, um, even if you get the COVID-19 vaccine, um, it will prevent you from getting sick, from getting severe disease that requires you to go to the ICU or it also prevents your chances of dying. Please note that um, the vaccines that are being given out have different efficacy, um, I would like to say efficacy, imagine you have a car and it has brakes, okay? Um, Think about if I step on the pedal, how sure am I that when I step on the pedal, my car will stop or Mm. it might take five or 10 seconds for that car to stop. So that is efficacy, really. Um, Will it stop immediately or will it take a longer time to stop? So the current vaccine, the AstraZeneca that they're giving us, is about sixty to seventy percent effective. That means that out of the hundred people that you vaccinate, seventy um, percent of them, okay, will be completely protected from COVID nineteen. That when they get severe disease, um, I mean, they won't. Get, when they get COVID, they won't get severe disease. Okay, so it means their body will be able to easily fight it off and it clears quickly. Um, The issue currently, so the remaining 30%, even after they've been vaccinated, may not be protected. Why does that happen? We have those intricate things about our genetics that are different from person to person, even within the same family, even when we are relatives, even among twins. So those intricate things that I won't go in detail about, um, our genetic makeup makes one person different from another makes you respond differently from another person. So that's why the efficacy is, um, for, for 70% of people, they'll be completely protected and the 30% will not. When you think about a number a hundred, um, this 70% seems meager, but when you think about a million or a billion people that have been vaccinated, then you have about 700,000 people that are protected. So, um, it, so it, this is better than nothing. Okay. Secondly, um, is that if you're in a room with a um, hundred people, and um, eighty of, ninety of them are vaccinated, okay, and you have maybe ten that are not, and among those ten there is one who has COVID, and if this one gets in contact with say five or ten people who are vaccinated, he will likely not pass the disease to them because they are protected as such you kind of break the chain of transmission and uh, that is why uh, we are advocating for vaccination because and we are saying the bigger the number the more protected we are Um, when you have two vaccines and that is you have the first dose and the second dose this is when you get this protection of up to seven that's when you have up to 70% chance of being protected from covid-19 and that is about 14 days after the second dose of your AstraZeneca vaccine there's been a lot of talk about why are we not getting the Pfizer vaccine that is 95% effective and the and the reason is because this the the Pfizer vaccine is non stable in our settings um, we will if we we got the Pfizer vaccine we won't even be able to transport it from needs, you know, to be transported under very low temperatures eh, that we, in our settings, we are unable to, you know, our current cold chain, we cannot be able to transport that vaccine and take it to the people that, by the time it arrives here and even gets the people that need it, it will be, it it will no longer be effective because we don't have the means to actually um, have that vaccine stable at the temperatures that are required. Maybe without speaking much about that one. Um, I could go ahead to another um, briefly.
0: One more Um, question question for you uh, before you move on. And this is a brief one. You have given us, of course, scientific findings, um, and we have our own findings, even by looking at the people who are going in here. I can say at least I know several that have been vaccinated. And I know one, without mentioning the name, who was terribly hit by that first shot of the vaccine. I also was vaccinated, and I can tell you that night, turning in bed was difficult. But I woke up in the morning and I was able to carry on with the day's work. But I have a friend here who was extremely weak, extremely sick. And with those numbers, without mentioning others, we would get up and preach and say, Guys, I almost died last night, do not take the vaccine. And we will not be lying, but what would you say uh, concerning those who get extremely sick when they take at least the first shot? Should they take the second one?
1: Okay. Um, thank you. Um, that's a very good question. Uh, for starters, when we give you the vaccine, it elicits an immune response. What mm. um, It mimics what could have happened if you had the virus. Okay? Um, so for some... Uh, uh, We we call it a hypersensitivity reaction. However, um, depending on the levels, for some people immune system, you have uh, what you may call those severe symptoms that someone says, I almost died. But Mm -hmm. every vaccine is supposed to elicit an immune response in your body, especially when you are getting it for the first time. I am certain that for people that had ever had COVID-19 before, when they got vaccinated, they did not get anything. For those who actually, even I myself, I got um, these um, symptoms. That the night when I got the vaccine, I didn't sleep. I had fevers, I had joint pain, I had headache. Interestingly, I was in a place where I couldn't access any any medicine, so I had to sleep through the night. The next day, I went to hospital, and um, I'm like, you just check to make sure there's nothing else. And they're like, there's nothing else. I took a Panadol, and then I was fine. The next, the second dose, when I took the second dose, I got absolutely nothing. Why? Uh, The first time, I had never been exposed to the COVID-19 vaccine. So my body was reacting and it gave me, you know, um, all those things. But you see, the symptoms were short-lived. They lasted about maybe, let's say, 12 hours because by 10 o'clock the following day, I was fine. So vaccines are expected to give you these symptoms. For some people, they do. For others, they don't. And uh, the quick example is our children. When we take them for the first vaccination at six weeks, um, David, uh, I know that you have seen um, your babies that day after vaccination, that night, they are crying, their legs are swollen. They spend the whole night irritable. They even develop fevers, okay? However, when they go to at the 10th week, when you take them for the second time for Penta 2, they do not react. Many of them, or oh, if they do, they don't react for Penta 2. The reason is because the first time it was their first exposure to the vaccine and to all those those um, those different vaccines, their body elicited an immune response and that is why they got fevers and uh, they were irritable and they were generally, exact, the same exact way you were feeling is how they feel at six mm-hmm. weeks. When you take them at 10 weeks, now their body has already developed antibodies. So it's not being exposed to this, uh, these vaccines for the first time. So this time, the reaction may be mild or not there. So um, when you you when you when get um, these symptoms, please, it doesn't mean that you should not go for the vaccine a second time. You mm-hmm. can go for the vaccine a second time. It is expected. What we worry about is if anyone gets the vaccine and then you begin to scratch yourself, you begin to eat, you swell up, you have difficulty in breathing, mm-hmm. Then it means that now for you, you're actually allergic to some components in that vaccine. So we are usually very skeptical about, do we give you a second dose? Before we give you a second dose, we may have to give you a steroid to make sure your immune your immune system does not react. Um, I hope I've been able to answer that.
0: Yes, Over. you have. Thank you so much. Let's quickly cover two of the other myths and then uh, we'll move on
1: okay thank you um so i, I want to talk about herbs um there's been memes going around saying by the end of this um at the at the end of the first wave we had all become chefs but now at the end of this one we're all going to be herbalists it's um good. i want to say that um i want to first say that herbs are good okay the medicines that we use now have been derived from hubs okay Now I'll put the disclaimer. The difference between herbal medicine and the medicine we give in hospital is that with the medicine we give in hospital, we have extracted the active ingredient. We have studied it and determined how you should take the drug, how much you should take the drug, um, what concentrations will be toxic to you, what we should expect, which people should not take a drug. What happens when you take a herb on the other hand? I'll just go to my garden, get as many leaves as I think I should, put them in a uh, in a whatever in a saucepan, and put as much water as I want. Boil it for as long as I want. Um, add we we don't even but we don't know with herbs. What happens if I get mango leaves and I add avocado leaves and I boil for one hour? How much? What do I get? What do I extract when I get that? Okay, what concentrations? Okay. Please note that herbs don't have, um, they're not like, for example, the paracetamol we give you. When I give it to you, I know that is a paracetamol. It will, it does A, B, C, D, E. The herbs usually may have so many things in them beyond what, uh, beyond what you think you're taking. So beyond the active ingredient, say for a headache, there may be something for malaria. There may be something that could damage your kidney and things like that. So as such, that's why um, in medicine, we don't give you. We usually discourage use of herbs because we actually cannot vouch. We don't know what it is you're, ta- you're taking, in what concentrations are you taking it, what has it, um, what other active ingredients are involved there, which here in medicine we may extract and say this is toxic. Let us remove it. You know. Dr. Um, Dr. Yes. Dr.
0: For the purpose of defending the herbalists present today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> number, number one, some, some of the herbs we are talking about are food we have been consuming, like garlic, like, uh, like lemons, onions, and we are simply saying, hey, we are going to change our diet and emphasize these things. And so we grind, we grind lots of onions, we make powder with the garlic, and I think those are the herbs. If those are the herbs we are talking about, that has been food. It's not the mango tree leaves that we've not been eating um, on a regular basis, but this is food we've been eating. Uh, do we make a difference between the two, or should we just bundle all of it in terms of herbs?
1: Um, okay, so um, that's a good one. So I was I was going to talk about that. So there are things yeah. um, that we that are that we are using like garlic, lemon that have been part of our normal nutrition, okay? Mm. My take on those is those things are good, okay? I want to say that there is no scientific evidence that these things prevent you from getting coronavirus or treat coronavirus, but this is what they do. All those things are good. They've been part of your diet before because they will give you vitamins. They will help you. Um, boost your immune system, we have been talking about about a balanced diet for forever, okay, Mm -hmm. so um, having those things now is not different from what we have been preaching before, okay, they are, are a part of a balanced diet and they should continue, however, please note that currently people are taking them in excess, you are going to get issues, people are complaining, I have ulcers, I'm getting heartburn, my stomach is hurting because We are taking these things in excess um ginger is hyperacidic um lemon is hyperacidic um oranges are hyperacidic they will they increase the acid in your stomach as such you end up getting um what you call ulcers. okay Mm -hmm. so for all these things that we are taking the same way we say a balanced diet i think a balanced diet doesn't say take excess of a and you know very little of b we need to balance it out let us not into quotes overdose on these things because they can have um, they can have health um, you know uh, they, they can have negative benefits as I've said I've, I've seen so many patients coming to me and they're complaining of um, pain in their throat and pain in their chest and stomach and it's constant until you talk about their diet and they're like oh I've been every time I take tea I have to put you know, uh, lemon and ginger have been taking a lot of it. You're like, you know what, you need to stop it. And when they stop it, they get immediate relief, you know. So as we are taking all these things, please note, there is no backing that they will prevent you from getting corona or they will treat corona. However, they are very good for your diet. They will boost your immune system. And your immune. when your immunity is high, you have a higher chance of fighting disease. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so okay. that is my take. Well,
0: thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jan. I want to remind the listeners uh, this morning is that whatever you're listening to right now is, is honestly wisdom um, from a doctor who is a Christian, a fears God. Uh, I've met her. Actually, my daughter keeps reminding me. I'm sure she's listening in right now. Each time we pass by your clinic, she looks to see if your car is there and so many times she said i want to be like dr john dr, uh, dr. jen she actually wants to be a doctor uh, because you allowed her to uh, touch some of the equipment when she came to see you and pretended to be a doctor for a while and i know she's listening in right now and excited about uh, this show i know you had one more myth uh, to cover but i'm going to ask that because of time we move on to the next question uh, that also saves me because I think you are going to talk about COVIDX at some point. And uh, I need you to be gentle with the rebuke for COVIDX because we are, we are using it right now. And, uh, but question number two, Dr. Jen, for you is uh, what are some, and this is a personal question uh, for me, what are some of the practical pieces of advice? you would give for those who are taking care of COVID, COVID patients from home, uh, some of the things we can watch out for. And I know I want to maybe add one more uh, statement here. Is I've heard several who are saying, uh, and there's some truth to it, that those who are taking care of COVID patients should start on the COVID medication as well. But in there is a mixture of antibiotics, in there is a mixture of some very heavy medicines. And, and yet, those who give this advice say, hey, look, I had COVID, uh, my household started on this medication, and when I got well, uh, one or two, instead of the entire household, tested positive afterwards. And of course, there is a risk of reinfection for one who has healed, but not just on medication, but what are some of the the practical steps one needs to take if they have um, a COVID patient right now uh, in their home. And I know they know some of the things to do. Uh, you can retaliate some of them, but then um, just just give us a couple of steps we need to take. Maybe some people here will pick one or two.
1: Um, thank, you. thank you, David. Um, I want to say, maybe even before I start on the practical steps, that um, With all the change in information over COVID, um, there are certain things that haven't changed.
2: Mm. That is,
1: um, you social distance, you wear your mask, and you wash your hands. Those three things haven't changed. Um, At the time when COVID started last year, I was given an opportunity to present to um, my organization about staff safety guidelines for COVID-19. And then uh, recently, when we had the second wave, I was again asked to do the same. And interestingly, those three things haven't changed. So when you're looking after a COVID-19 patient, and even as you go on with your daily um, dealings, those three things have not changed. Social distancing, that is you keep at least two meters apart. um, Washing your hands, uh, which is hand hygiene. And... uh, also wearing your mask there's been um talk about double masking please if you can do it and um the i think i can share on the group later on um a very short um a few slides there may be six about double masking and you could use you can use a cloth mask with um with um a surgical mask on top and also there's something about knotting. if you have one mask you could knot it at the edge uh, I'm going to. I'll also. It's also put in that uh, part. However, if you're using an N95 mask, please, you don't need to do all that. Um, the second thing about taking care. So those are the first three things when you're taking care of someone who is, who has COVID nineteen. Those three things are paramount in all you do. Two, if you can isolate them, that is a good thing. Or find a space that is, that has amenities that is they can freely use as their. It is a good um it is a good thing to do Um, maybe say if you have a bedroom that could have uh, bathroom amenities and something and you're like this is your space okay um designate uh, um one one person at home to take care of the patient with COVID nineteen. this is so that you prevent um uh, i come in i i am less i'm a little bit clumsy then someone else comes in then they're very careful so You want to designate a particular someone to come in and you make sure that this person is well versed with what they need to do when they're inside there, making sure that they social distance as they come in. They should make sure the patient is also wearing a mask, if not too, that they keep a distance. Um, uh, Try your best not to eat with the patient as much as possible. Actually avoid it. They should uh, eat um, alone Um, Colleagues, as I talk about eating when we go for barriers, please don't be um, tempted to say, "Let's let me also have lunch," because you'll be prompted to take off your mask, and that will be a, a place for you to easily catch the virus. So um, that is another thing. Keep the windows open. Um, we prefer fresh air compared to air conditioning. Air conditioning, you know, will all those and COVID nineteen likes like cold environments. I know most of those um, upper respiratory tract viruses so keep the windows and the doors open and um, I think importantly it is important that you offer support and encouragement beyond the medicine Um, these people are in a place where they could easily get depressed they could easily get anxious and also offer support to those that are staying in the same environment with this sick person because they could also you know there's the danger of stigma from those outside from those within Three patient confidentiality, can we try as much as possible not to tell the whole world, oh, so-and-so has COVID, the other one has COVID. You know, there are people who just don't know how to, you know, um, to to treat people when they are sick. As soon as I know that so-and-so has COVID-19, you know, then I begin to stigmatize you. Then I tell everyone, if I'm a border person and you're standing by the road and you need to, to take a ride or something, then I will. when I see you, I'll actually turn and use a longer route. So um patient confidentiality is very important um you could tell the people who are staying at home that so and so is unwell but we need to keep that to ourselves so that we don't that even you know even after they get better you know you're not going to go around showing the entire village you see my test is now negative people will still stigmatize this person so as much as possible let us keep um patient confidentiality. Um one final thing that you mentioned was about drugs. There is no scientific backing that people that when you're caring for someone that is covid positive for covid-19 you should take any sort of treatment. I mean, otherwise we would say that every doctor who is in the covid-19 treatment ward is on azithromycin, is on on um, dexamethasone and all those things. No, I would still say that do the necessary precautions which is social distance wash your hands sanitize wear protective um, equipment if you can put on a mask okay but there is no um and then have a balanced diet the balanced diet is similar to the take vitamin c and zinc because vitamin c and zinc are things that are available in the foods that we eat um don't take um the dexamethasone when you're not sick it's going to lower your immunity and then if maybe COVID was, you're only, you are supposed to be one of those asymptomatic people, you may end up getting severe disease because you're taking dexamethasone that you actually do not need. Thank you so much. David. Amen. One final one.
0: Thank you so much, by the way, Dr. Jen. So far, I think I'm enjoying the discussion, and I believe many of us who are present today are benefiting from this. Uh, service. Uh, shortly, we're going to be having David uh, share with us from Goldsworth, and I pray that you will be blessed. But one final question. I'm going to change this question a little bit uh, from the way i had given it to you. And I want to summarize our whole discussion tonight with this question. Is there a hope um, in any way, both from a Christian perspective, Dr. Jen, and also from what we are hearing? Um, I I do have a friend who is present here, by the way. Um, I saw him before I traveled. And he told me, David, look, and I believe this is a fear that all of us had, and there is some truth to it, we will not deny. Uh, And he says, look, whatever happens when you're treating mom, do not take her to a government hospital. And this was his reasoning. Um, He said, look, I've lost family members, five, who were elderly, And uh, when we took them to a government hospital, these guys want to save space. And so they will consider the elderly last. They're like dangling at the bottom of the list. And it's scary, um, but from his perspective, and I do respect his views, by the way, he's a good friend of mine. It has happened to them. And I think it has happened to several of those who are listening in. And it seems like, I mean, the world is coming to an end and people are afraid to go to the hospital. Um, I There's a young man who I also know who I kind of um, encouraged to go and do a test. And he said, David, look, it is said that when you go to the hospital to do a test, that's when they give you the virus. And he was afraid to go because that's what the whole village is saying. Um, but is there a hope? Um, Hospitals, the private ones, are extremely expensive. They literally dig a hole in your pocket, and uh, that is a hole that you cannot uh, fill up in the next couple of years. And it's it's just terrible. I want to ask the question, is there hope, both from a biblical perspective, but also uh, from a scientific perspective, at least as a doctor in Uganda? Should we move to the UK or the US? What's up?
1: <laughs> Interesting. You can't move to the UK it's damn expensive. <laughs> that's okay, that's damn expensive. Yeah. Um I, I want to say I want to say for starters that there is hope. Okay. Um I want to give a layman's perspective, but which is also true. Uh, there was a patient I was treating recently for something else. And then I, I told him I told him that do you know Bashil died? He he's like, Yeah, but but Bashil also had other illnesses beyond the covid 19 things they don't tell you then he actually before even told me that he's like he's like but doctor people are getting better okay um so amidst we are the death hits hard but there are so many people who are getting better um still a week ago um they kept there's a a company who's they just keep sending me clients from their company and um, recently, I think about a week ago, um, there, Eddie walks in and tells me, doctor, I've come to give me the drug you've been giving my boys. I'm like, why? He's like, I have a feeling they had COVID. But every, each one of them that has been coming in here, three, four days, they're better, they're back to work. Three, four, five days, they're back to work. What am I trying to say? People, there is hope. There are so many people who are getting better, okay? So... And even in medicine, when we give you all the treatment there is, you need to have what they call a positive positive, an optimistic patient is much more likely to get better than one who is pessimistic. So the hope we have in Christ, the same faith we have in God is the same faith we should carry on along through this pandemic. There is hope. There are so many people who are getting better, but there are also people who are dying. I wanted to talk about the fact, the thing about government hospitals. Mm, And I think, David, we talked about it yesterday. In every place, there are people who are out to make money out of you, but then there are also people who are out to save your life. Sometimes the people who are out to make money out of you may prevent you from accessing um, a service, you know. Um, I want to state that just like in daily life, you may go to any business. There are those who are shrewd and there are those that are honest. I think as we go through this pandemic, as we approach a time when we need to go to a hospital, let us keep praying. Let us be prayerful that we may have, that God may guide us, that as we go into that hospital, the person that, that we, the people that we get into contact with are actually honest people that will not uh, pull any sort of moves and prevent us from accessing the care that we deserve. I've worked in a government hospital before, and I have worked in a private hospital before, and I will tell you that I enjoyed working in a government hospital. Why? In a government hospital, you don't... I don't expect money from people, okay? So I give them the very best that they require for free you know. Two, they are also not out. People are come there because they are really unwell and they need your help. In uh, private hospitals, people come because they have insurance, they think they are rich, they think, you know, and all sorts of things. I don't want to go through that. But I want to say that um, in this um, government hospitals, are people like me, are people like all of you. Some of them are your sisters, some of them are your brothers, you know and you know them, they're Christian, and they will do the right thing for you. It is not true that people are being denied beds because they're elderly. This virus is killing more of the older people than the younger people. The Delta variant is more aggressive, and as such, anyone may die. But still, it's killing more of the elderly than the younger people, and that's true for any disease, okay? The elderly people, there are so many things that are no longer functioning so well. When you're elderly, you're much more likely to have high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, you're you're much more likely to even be tired of taking medicine or to have a certain cancer somewhere that, you know, is slowly eating you up, you know. So there's so many things that surround the elderly that are not among the young, that make them much more vulnerable to actually dying there are certain drugs that even when you give it to them it will shut down a kidney of an elderly person compared to a young person so um we have to have that in perspective then the other thing is that remember that the the people who are well don't go to hospital it is the sick that go to hospital and it is the very sick that we admit so it is not right for people of course um It's not right for people to say blanketly that when you go to hospital, um, they will, you know, that hospital, when you go there, they kill you, you know, that sort of thing, you know, um, in quotes. It's not true, because it's the very sick that go to hospital, and it's the very sick that get admitted, and the very sick are very much more likely to die. If it was really just about the elderly or anyone, then why are health workers dying? You know, I have lost... I, I I have lost um, a doctor recently, Ian. He, we worked together. He was a young man. He did, they did everything they could, but he died, COVID. There was another young man also who died. I mean, he was in Makere. He was working in the lab. Everyone did everything they could. He was in ICU. He did, he got everything that he could get, but he still died. So, um... I, I would think that if it is really true that we are that the hospitals are actually um, denying care to the elderly and giving it only to the young, then the young would not be dying. Then the health workers would not be dying. Okay, so I want to encourage each and every one of us that the hospitals are there to help us. Um, there are a number of people who have gone to these hospitals and they have very good stories about them. I have a colleague I was supervising who told me. I was admitted in Grade B doctor. Those people treated me so well; I was like a VIP all the way until he left. So um, it is not true. Currently, um, hospitals are overwhelmed. Of course, our healthcare system is not the best, but I think that um, in the hospitals, that the doctors and the nurses are doing the very best within the circumstances that they are in. So let us not get discouraged, let us not think. Uh, if someone is sick, please try to reach out to a hospital and see if you can get assistance. Okay. Mm. Um, no one is out there to, to make you sick. Um, but if you have an a condition that can wait, okay, you have um, maybe you, you know, you, you know those things. I, mm. I think I need to go. Those conditions that can wait. Please wait. Why? Of Course, because hospitals very many people who go there are sick, you're very likely to go to a hospital and get COVID, not because someone has given it to you, but there's a very high chance that a COVID patient coughed and something splattered somewhere, okay, mm-hmm. and it was cleaned or that it's within the air. Because I mean, there are so many people that access the hospitals, so um, the, the, the hospitals can tend to be concentration areas for infection. We call them nosocomial infections, hospital acquired infections. So, if you can stay away from hospital, please do, okay? Um, Let us go there when we really need um, help, in terms of if you need oxygen, if you really have to, please go in. But if you don't have to, if you think something can wait, if you think, you know, it's not urgent, let's wait, okay? And let's sit this out. Thank you.
0: Amen. Dr. John, again, um, the chat is lighting up right now concerning the COVIDX. And, uh, I don't know. I don't think we have enough time to <laughs> uh, start talking about this famous COVIDX medicine that is being distributed in Uganda. But right now, allow me to welcome uh, David to speak to us this morning.
2: Well, good morning, um, everyone. Uh, thank you very much, David. Um, and thank you everyone that has tuned in this morning and thank you very much for that uh, wonderful discussion dr jen thank you for making time to be with us this morning it's always uh, a blessing to see how god has blessed his church with uh, people from different backgrounds uh, medical um, teaching and uh, um, other professions engineering that um, the house of god can benefit from And so just getting to hear the different things, information uh, from a medical person uh, as opposed to, you know, the WhatsApp groups that we keep on reading that give us information. And I pray that uh, this morning's um, church service is very helpful and will be very helpful to us as a church family. Well, this morning I'm going to spend a few more minutes just uh, delving into God's Word. Remembering where we were last Sunday, um, you know, lessons from the exile, we looked at uh, the children of Israel in Jeremiah 29, how God had sent them into exile and, um, you know, God introduces himself as the Lord of hosts. In other words, this very powerful God was on their side and also uh, for them to be reminded um, uh, of the fact that uh, they were going to be in exile for a long time and using that to, you know, just allow us to be prepared for the long haul. Uh, That this time period we're going to go through is not going to be a short period of time, and therefore the need for us to be prepared um, and prepare sufficiently to prepare wisely, uh, not preparing as though we are just going through a sprint that is going to last only two weeks and then things go back to normal. I mean, our prayer and our wish is that things can be shortened, but... uh, You and I know that uh, that's not how things go. Well, picking it up from there, Lessons from Exile, we will go back to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, uh, our focus for uh, message for this morning. And there's several things that we should be able to glean or to learn from that passage. And um, this particular morning, we're going to look at four things uh, that God... Um, as a way of declarations that he makes in this passage and remembering that this was uh, written to the children of Israel as they were in exile, of course, going through difficult times. Uh, Jerusalem had just been destroyed. The temple, which was a huge, huge and significant part of the uh, Jewish life and religion, had been brought down and burnt. Uh, people had been killed and uh, houses were destroyed. And uh, they find themselves in Babylon with nothing, nothing at all. Refugees. And uh, not just refugees, but refugees under a pagan nation. But right in the midst of them going into exile, God sends Jeremiah with a message to his people. And God says several things, but I want us to pick out just a few things to remind us uh, God's place in everything that is going on. Um, but also to give us encouragement um, that as much as God is in the midst of all these things, there are certain declarations that he made to the children of Israel that we can also learn from and pick up, because these are truths uh, that are consistent with God's character. These are truths that are consistent with his character throughout time. So the first one is responsibility. Responsibility and um we see this in verse 7 picking up from where we stopped last time verse 7 says and seek the peace of a city where i have caused you to be carried away captives interesting god does not say you know seek the peace of the city into the city where you are carried away by the babylonians he says i am the one who has caused you to be carried away as captives listen this goes in line with god's sovereignty that god is sovereign that god is in control of all the affairs of our lives that god is in control of all the affairs of you know of the world and colossians chapter 1 verse 17 reminds us of this fact that jesus christ indeed was uh, responsible for creating but everything is held together by him here is something that We need to be reminded, even as we look at Job's life, that Job went through trials because Satan brought trials upon Job. But then when we begin that story, we are brought to the glimpse of what happens in heaven, that actually God allows Satan to go and inflict pain. We need to understand that if God said no, Satan would not do anything. And then we fast forward to the New Testament, we see... Um, Jesus telling Paul, I mean Saul, I mean uh, Peter, that, uh, you know, Satan had asked for him to be sifted and Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. In other words, God allowed for Peter to be sifted when he denied Jesus Christ three times, but he said, I have prayed for you. What does this tell us? That nothing that happens under the sun that is not under the control of God, that does not have the express permission of God to take place. We find ourselves at a time where things are difficult. Our loved ones are ailing, people are dying, people are sick, people are worried, others have lost jobs. Where is God in all this? Listen, God is sovereign. God is still in the midst of all this that is happening. And let me say this, if it wasn't for God's hand on this country right now, it would be catastrophic. If God is not holding this situation and controlling it and guiding it so that it does not flow out of its bank like a river that flows out of its bank, there would be mayhem, there would be chaos. God admits and takes responsibility for the fact that his children are in exile. He allowed for it to happen. He allowed a pagan nation to come and destroy them. But in the midst of all that he protected, he protected some people, he preserved certain things and later on we see in 70 years is going to allow them to go back so friends we need to be reminded that whatever is happening is not happening with God not being aware with God not being in control it's not like God has lost control over things that are happening so we can we can we can lay confident knowing that God is still in control even in the midst of chaos. Is a God who has things under control in his hand and in his wisdom. Even though he allows pain to come our way, he is still in charge and in control. Satan has not taken over the world. Satan is not powerful enough to push God to the side. You know, God reminds us in John that He greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He that is in the world may have, you know, rain for a few uh, moments and he may be given you know the permission to do a few things here and there but he cannot and he will not overpower God and take the reins of this world the reins of his nation from his hands so we can rest assured that God is still in control so that is responsibility we see as a first point in today's message the second thing that we see is renunciation In verse 8 and 9, God tells these exiled people, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in your midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to their dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. I have not sent them. That is renunciation. God renounces the false prophets. He says, all those people who purport to be speaking on behalf of me, all those people who purport to be prophesying on behalf of me saying all sorts of things about you know what the exile was and in, in in jeremiah's time the prophets were actually telling people you relax there's nothing you will not go to exile no everything is okay you are in good books with god and and listen so many voices are out there and that's why i'm grateful to dr jen coming Um, into our service and and today giving us a true picture of you know the medical aspect of things Uh, there's so much information flying around on on social media so much information um, you know amongst our small groups as we discuss things Uh, some of them you know not true at all some of them containing bits of truth and creating so much anxiety and the importance for us to find the right sources of information To find sources that do not create fear but create hope because we serve a God of hope to to find sources that you know generate love within us not you know self-preservation to find because that is what God stands for that in the midst of trial we need to spread hope and faith in God we need to exercise love we need to be patient we need to realize that the grace of God is in place and whatever we say needs to minister grace like we're informed and, um, you know, reminded in Ephesians chapter 4, verse um, 28 all the way to 29. And, and, and we see this this aspect also in this, in this particular passage um, where God is telling them, listen, in the midst of, of turmoil, you're going to get people who are going to try and take advantage and they're going to be false prophets for whatever reason. and people have different reasons why they do the things that they do. But God saying, "I have not sent these people. Even within the church, sadly there's people who you know have, have come up with all sorts of theories, you know why this pandemic is there. There are those who say, well, maybe God, you know, is is angry with with our country, or maybe God has done this, or maybe God... I mean, none of us knows why God has allowed this to happen. None of us. None of us has, has had, you know, conference with God to be briefed on why this pandemic is happening. All we know is that God is in control. And all we know is that we need to go to Him in prayer and ask Him to help us to go through this time period and maybe perhaps if he sees it fit at whatever point, he will let us know why he allowed this to happen. And you and I have gone through different things in our lives where we don't have answers why things have happened. But we know God in his wisdom He has allowed it to happen. You know, I'm reminded of the story of, um, and, and some of us find it very hard to reconcile this fact. Um, but I'm reminded of, of Job when when his wife was uh, telling him, you know, you need to cast God and just move on. And and, and Job rebukes his wife and, and tells his wife, I believe, uh, somewhere in Job chapter 2, uh, verse 10, uh, should be Job chapter 2, verse 10, where he says, were we foolish enough to accept only good from God and not the bad? But that is a mind that understands that God is wise, that even when he allows the bad to happen, It is for good Uh, indeed Romans 8 reminds us all things work out for the good of all those who are in Christ Jesus and so being reminded that we need to be watchful of the different voices out there voices of of gloom and doom voices of um, you know of fear voices of uh, uh, of terror and hopelessness uh, because those are not voices of God and you can see the voice that God uses of Jeremiah, it is a voice that brings hope. Uh, when you read the rest of his chapter, it, it is it is hope uh, being ministered to a people in exile. You know, jumping all the way to verse 11, you, you can see the message of hope when he says, I, I know I, I have a plan for you. You know, uh, in the midst of them going through Tamil, he says, I know I have a plan for you. That's the kind of God. And that's the kind of message that we need to be spreading around, a message of hope, a message of love, a message of grace, a message of a God who's still in control of the affairs of this world. And also, you know, just getting people um, that can give us the right information. I tell people, you know, talk to a doctor. Uh, Should I get a vaccine or not? Talk to a doctor. Uh, Should I take zithromycin? Talk to a doctor first before you can partake that medicine. Should I steam? you know, seek medical advice. Don't seek WhatsApp doctors to guide you. So the first thing uh, is responsibility. God takes responsibility for what's going on because he's sovereign, he's king, he's lord overall. And then number two, he renounces the false teachers and therefore we need to avoid them as well. Number three, we see reassurance. The reassurance. And the reassurance we see in this passage is in several statements and I'm going to read them briefly uh, from the different points of this passage. We see the first reassurance um, in, 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 in verse 10. It says, for that says the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. Listen, it's a message of hope that a time will come and they will leave Babylon a time will come and the lockdown will be done a time will come and all this COVID uh, situation and pandemic will be done and God says I will visit you you see the term visit there is not just coming but visit you know the connotation of of good tidings, bringing good things toward us. In other words, this time period will come to an end, and a time will come when things will be turned around by God for His good. And the, the other reassurance He gives them in verse eleven. So not only does He say, "I will visit you," He says, "For I know the thoughts that I think toward you." He says, "I have good thoughts for you." He says, "I have thoughts not 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 for evil." But thoughts that are not, not supposed to bring an, an expected end to you, but thoughts of peace. He says, I have, you know, plans for you. He has good plans for us. I know it's very hard for us to think about that right now. It doesn't seem like there's a plan at all for our lives. There's a plan at all for our families. There's a plan at all for our sick and loved ones. But God tells his people in exile, that he knows he has a plan. What reassuring words we can have from God at this moment, that even when our plans have been scattered, we can rest assured that God still has a plan in the midst of all that. The other reassuring statement that he makes in verse 12, he says, Then, I shall, then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will listen to you. God promises his rebellious people that he will listen to them. Can you imagine people who are, you know, right smacking their rebellion, he says, I will still listen to you. And I don't think we are in rebellion. I believe and I want to believe that we have been, you know, faithful in our walk to God. How much more therefore, we who are his children through Jesus Christ. He promises that he will listen to them. And let me tell you this friends, we do not have to make an appointment with God. We do not have to wake up at a certain time of the night so that our prayers can be efficacious. We can pray and approach him anytime, any moment, and we can be sure he listens to us. He listens to us when we are groaning. He listens to us when we are confused. He listens to us even when we do not have words that we can express our sorrow. In fact, in Romans, we are told, in Romans, it tells us that the Spirit of God he intercedes for us with words that cannot be uttered sometimes. He groans on our behalf. And, 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 and so just being reassured of the fact that God listens to us and he's listening to us even in this time period uh, when we call out to him in prayer in whatever situation. Another reassuring statement that he makes is in verse 14. He, he tells these people that I will be found of you or I will be found by you. You know, moments of trials usually are moments where God draws us to himself, where we begin to search and ask questions. And he says, even as you are walking that path of doubt and and, and wrestling with God over your faith, he says, you will find him. That's where Israel found themselves. Suddenly they don't have a temple where they could do their sacrifices and worship God. And you know, the temple was a place where Uh, The Israelites believed brought them closer to God with every sacrifice that was made because the sacrifices meant the clearance of sins and the restoration of fellowship. But here they were without a temple, and therefore no sacrifices could be carried out. And therefore the feeling that they were very, very far from God. But God makes a promise and says they will look for him and he will be found by them. I don't know what you may be going through. And I don't know what questions or what you're wrestling with right now. God makes a commitment and says he is a God that is not playing hide and seek. He's a God who desires to be found by you. He's a God that desires to be in a, in a relationship with you. He's a God who desires to be in fellowship with you. And when we seek him, he makes a promise we will find him. He doesn't make it very hard for us to find him. He's just a prayer away. He's just a scripture away. He's just a fellowship away. And we need to rest in that reassurance of his being available and being found. Lastly, he says, I will restore you in verse 14. I will restore you. Friends, can we find encouragement in these reassuring words from God that he makes to his people in exile. And may we be strongly encouraged in knowing that we serve a God that has not removed himself from our affairs, but he's right in the midst of it all and is in control. And he has actually taken responsibility for whatever is happening in our lives. And he equally will take responsibility to take us out of this situation. Friends, can we be reminded that God renounces any messages of fear, any messages of despair, any messages of gloom and doom, but he embraces the messages of hope, grace, and love that he desires for us to be a part of and to spread, and to listen to the right sources, but also to listen to the reassurances that God gives his people in the midst of trials. And we see this as a consistent character of God, even in the New Testament. Jesus Christ reassures Peter. He says, listen, Satan has asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you that you will be able to stand at the end of it all. What's of encouragement. Even the Great Commission, God sends out his disciples to go and, and make disciples of women, and he says, lo, I will be with you. Reassurances. We'll look at Hebrews Chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. These are promises. These are declarations that God makes in line with his consistent character that we can stand upon and we can rely on. He's a God of restoration. He came to restore our relationship with God um, on the cross. And he is interested in restoring not only our relationships, but our status to be his children that are of value to his kingdom. These are lessons that God allows for his beloved people, Israel, to take note of as they were in exile. We may find ourselves in our own exile right now. You're in a very unfamiliar territory. But may we find consolation, may we find comfort in knowing that we are not by our own, we are not by ourselves. God is there with us is here to reassure us and is going to see us through and restore us to where we should be by his mighty name. Thank you so much for joining us. Let me
0: remind you that we hold these discussions live here on Podbin every Sunday at 10.30 a.m Ugandan time. Please check out the link to the live room here in the description to this podcast and hope to see you on Sunday. Bye bye.